pretty bad motorcycle wreck as a you know young adult. Uh, I can remember the uh, expression when the uh, police and the EMS found you know my injured body on the side of the road. There, they were gagging, so it was it was an ugly sight for those. But I, I was fortunate. I was very lucky. I got whisked away to a hospital, and after a series of surgeries, you know, like kept my leg and was able to get back on my feet. How many surgeries is a series? Oh, it, it was many. It was many because there was a <laughs> bunch of, first you picked up the bones and then you uh, deal with the loss of tissue and skin grafting and all kinds of things like that. So it was quite a, uh, you know, I was in the hospital for months. Once you get two surgeries, it doesn't matter how many more you right, have. It's right, just exactly. a series of things. Because yeah, I'm picturing, you know, Alex Smith's leg after he uh, nearly lost it playing football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that story. I, I know football is the one with the puck, right? No. <laughs> adult i mean i we in high school what, what are we looking at yeah, here? Yeah, i was like 17 right or, yeah but i mean I, what yeah. happened did you did you yeah, take yeah. a wrong I, turn or I, someone I, cut you I, off or what a poor old gentleman in a big chevy blazer uh ran through a stop sign and uh, i narrowly avoided being t-boned by getting sideways yeah it was a bad accident and well, you're uh, showing a lot of sympathy for this guy this poor old gentleman who ran a red light you seem to have a an empathy for him he must have been terrified. All uh, right. Well, we're learning more about you with every statement because I think and the next statement is going to shed a lot of light as well. Are you still riding bikes? Yes, I do. I still ride bikes very cautiously. It's hard to get out of your system. Yeah. And one of my favorite travel shows is those those travel shows with Ewan McGregor when he takes his bike around the world. Yeah. And he's That's often said the best way to travel, the best way to see and be a part of the landscape that you're discovering is to be out on a bike and not yeah, you know, absolutely. sequestered in a vehicle. I totally agree. Well, there's something to be said for a kid at 17 who develops a taste for bikes. Well, I had that taste well before 17. Well, that's I, what I'm saying. I mean, I, you were on, I'm sure you were on a bike for a while. Your parents must have come to terms with the idea that little Johnny just loves to be out on, on his wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, little Johnny had little dirt bikes and motocross racing. 
by the time he had his motorcycle accident. My ill-spent youth makes it all hard to remember, but yes, it was absolutely a joyful uh, time for me. <laughs> and where was that misspent youth spent? Well, I, I grew up in the, just in the suburbs of northern New Jersey, outside New York City. And I grew up in uh, in towns by Englewood, Bergenfield. But right now, my parents' home is in Tenafly. Right. So you just spent a lot of time overlooking the city and thinking Correct. every city is like that, right? That's because that's what I thought. And easy um, to get to for public with public transportation. <laughs> and speaking of uh, helpless nostalgia, welcome to the successfully funded podcast brought to you by KiwiTech, a growing ecosystem of entrepreneurs, investors, mentors, accelerators, incubators, and corporations. We help early and growth stage startups build viable products, drive traction, raise capital, and scale their businesses. Now, before we get uh, started with our discussion about Abby by GoGoTech, uh, a brief disclaimer, KiwiTech is not acting as a broker, dealer, or investment advisor, and is not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission in any such capacities. At no time does KiwiTech provide investment advice, endorsement, analysis, or recommendations with respect to securities. Information contained herein should be viewed for entertainment purposes only. KiwiTech does not verify or assure that information provided by any issuer offering its securities is accurate or complete, or that the valuation of such securities is appropriate. Investing in any securities, particularly in securities issued by startup companies, involves substantial risk, and investors should be able to bear the loss of their entire investment. Uh, you can read the entire thing at our podcast website, successfullyfundedpodcast.com slash disclaimer. And well, anyway, we're going to talk today with the co-founder and CEO of Abby by GoGoTech, which is the personal electric vehicle for the 21st century, because everyone with reduced mobility should have access to safe, advanced, affordable, and assistive technology. And please welcome John DiBenedetti. Welcome. Hi, Dad. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. We had a great seminar. Um, we learned a lot about the genesis of Abby and why she's important and why she's disrupting a very bureaucratic system that you outlined in painful detail and uh, had to relive with your friend, which I guess underlines the whole idea that is there a such thing as a good thing or a bad thing? Because the bad thing is your friend went through this nonsense, but the good thing is you were inspired by that nonsense to create Abby and perhaps bring personal conveyance to millions of people who ordinarily couldn't afford it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the issue in assistive mobility devices is in the developed countries, like the US, especially in the US, and that's what we're talking about here, how motorized wheeled devices, wheelchairs, scooters, have basically been subject to a scarcity model that probably is not a diabolical conspiracy of the healthcare and the wheelchair cartel, you know. It, 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 but it, it could it, be. Let's 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 allow yeah. that. Is it? <laughs> right. It arose out of market forces, right? So you know, 1970s, you know, manual wheelchairs, right, are like baby strollers. They've been around forever, centuries old. Very versatile designs with the big back wheels, the small castering front wheels, a folding frame, and push handles on the back. It's actually the best form factor for a device to help somebody move around. You can self-propel it, it can be pushed from behind, and when the user is not in it, it can usually be folded for transport. 70s come along, motors 
and batteries are reaching the size and weight where they can be added to said devices. And guess what else is happening at the time? Landmark legislation in the United States, the creation of the Medicare system, which now created capacity. Uh, and and what, what else is happening? Semiconductors, right? Moore's Law and Tell and all those guys are creating digital control. So there's this convergence in the 1970s of finally now wheelchair makers who had these kind of commoditized, pretty similar products for, for decades, if not centuries, now suddenly can get third-party payers to subsidize and the creation of premium products that can perhaps be self-operated instead of a person in a wheelchair being pushed, right? They can now have a premium product. But, <laughs> you know, the, the other interesting thing that happened was the creation of the FDA, and they were regulating technology in healthcare. And so what happened was, I guess, purely by accident, these products became regulated medical devices prices were inflated and and literally you know over over the, the ensuing decade what has emerged and evolved is an industry that only produces quantity of powered devices to you know matching the demand that in other words what the third party payers will pay for so literally in 2020 only 2 million Power devices were produced for a global market of over 200 million adults with reduced mobility. And if you think about the insurance benefit scheme, whether it's national health care or private insurance, their incentive is to minimize the care, restrict the access. All right? so, so since the supply side, the manufacturers are inflating the prices, building in lots of margins so they can negotiate discounts with these third-party payers, have schedules of what's covered by what insurance company, right? The de facto status quo is that unless you're wealthy or well-insured, they don't even make a powered device for you. When you describe the ossified system under which these chairs exist, it's like my old New York City apartment where they painted over the light socket so much you couldn't even get into it anymore. And you're taking a chisel to that. But let's talk about the experience of being in a wheelchair. Because here you are, a teenager, in a wheelchair, recovering from this wreck. If you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life or just temporarily, in your case, what was the first thing that surprised you the most about what it was like to be confined to a wheelchair? As you mentioned, Doug, the experience is very different for someone who's rehabilitating, let's say, from an injury and has a temporary impairment, right? That, that there's, those are very different because of what works and what the parts of the musculature in your body that you rely on to, number one, transfer into the chair and then achieve a safe and comfortable position and then the operation, right? And, and there, there, it, there are a lot of nuances there. But in my case, a young man who had been laid up for probably 12 to 13 weeks immobile, you know, basically on my back, uh, they started with prevent the atrophy of everything else. So you do some physical therapy, your torso, your arms, the remaining uh, leg. I had a, a back injury as well, so I couldn't really move either of my legs at the time. 
I mean, the first thing is, of course, the, the atrophy, the intense, you know, the loss of muscle, the how exhausting it is to just move and transfer in and out with help, and then to begin to propel yourself. As much of a challenge that was, and you feel how weak you've become after almost a, a couple of months of not moving, it's quite liberating to be able to even, you know, move down the hall in the hospital or whatever, right? So it was very, very, it was a shock to see how weak I had become, but it was empowering because I could now actually move around. And what was it like when you first were able to get out of that wheelchair when someone said, okay, it's time to start doing PT and start learning to walk again? When you first put it down and the blood starts going back into the, what's left, it hurts, right? So there's, yeah. you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot of milestones, you know, and just, so, it, you know, it's, it's always an adjustment. I was young. I was, a, you know, I was 18 at the time I was rehabbing. And so it all came back fairly quickly. But what was it like the first time I got into the wheelchair? I had my friend sneak me out of the hospital and uh, <laughs> take, take as teenagers do. <laughs> and, and I regretted it because I was so exhausted I could barely, I could right. barely. I, I certainly needed help transferring into the on the Civic that spirited me away from the hospital and getting back. It was really a lot. It was a stupid thing to do, but I don't regret it. Well, that's an interesting point, too, about sympathy and empathy, because especially at that formative time, I mean, when you're 18, you feel bulletproof. And now all of a sudden you're relying on a device to get you around and other people to get you into that device and to care for you, you know, to, to get you your food. And how does that change you as a person? The first wave of that is the respect that I gained for the caregivers, nurses, physical therapists orderlies and hospitals, the people that help you bathe, bring you food, and do, in their own way, you know, try to cheer you up, right? There was, was a lot of question as to, during the, my rehab, was my leg going to actually be able to, was I going to lose it, or were, the, were, were they going to be able to keep it on? And that was like over a number of surgeries, always a question. I can see when people look into my eyes, they see the fear in me that I'm not going to have my leg as a teenager. Then, yes, as you said, there's this whole other dependence, right? The, the, the notion of, you know, how quickly can you get yourself to be able to do as much as possible? Something that we all want. We all want to be able to move around independently and not have to rely on another person or people to get in and out of a chair or to operate that chair in the world. And that's, you know, some, some of that flows into what we've done with that. Given all of these experiences, in and out of wheelchairs, a new relationship with caregivers, how did all that go into the design of Abby? And what gave you that particular perspective to design this revolutionary thing with the idea that so many of these other aspects had been ignored all this time? Great question. And the manual wheelchair, the centuries-old traditional rear wheel drive, right? With the big back wheels and the yeah. small front wheels, the push handles behind, possibly a folding frame, although the, the best ones are rigid as, as motors and batteries got better. How does industry motorize chairs? And what you saw happen and what you see today is products with four small wheels and batteries and joystick controllers. And even 
the tremendously expensive products are actually not designed with that traditional rear wheel drive form factor because it's a challenge to keep the overall width with batteries and motors, right? Remember, you're, you're sitting in between the wheels. If you make it really heavy down at the bottom and you put four small wheels, you can put the mass under the user, but it has to be really heavy to prevent it from tipping over. Now, it's good because you can narrow the overall width of it. Right. But some of what I learned for the vast majority of people in the world, the most versatile solution is something built on that traditional wheelchair form factor. There's only a few products in the market that motorize this type of wheelchair, and they tend to be very expensive, six, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000. So that is why we designed Abby, our first product, for people with reduced mobility, we designed Abby as a traditional rear-wheel drive form factor so that we could combine and unify the ability to be pushed, the ability to self-propel, the ability to self-propel with assistance from the motors, and that's some of our, our special tech, as well as removable batteries that go in the armrest. And we try to keep the overall package narrow enough for most doorways. Now, Abby isn't for every user in every setting, but the way we designed Abby, we, we did that to be as versatile as possible for as many people as possible. Well, you right? mentioned, yeah, we have written, it's the whole three-in-one approach, right? You exactly. can either you can self-propel, exactly. you can have assistance with the motor, or you can be propelled by somebody else. Right. But it's also... We want the price to be low enough and the form factor to be appropriate for manual wheelchair users, right? right. Who, who might become now first-time power buyers. You don't have to completely give up the notion of self-propelling. Certainly, Abby is not a featherweight sport or active chair, but it's light enough that you can use it manually. And with the power assist, yeah, it actually becomes a whole new way of getting around. So it's good for wheelies is what you're saying. No, no comment. Unofficially. <laughs> I think one of the things I learned as well about this, again, those of us who have never been in a wheelchair don't understand the spectrum of needs that wheelchair users have. And so the versatility of Abby, I think, is an important innovation just because you don't know what someone is going to need. And it's it needs to be adaptable. And it also needs to be adaptable with modern technology, like the sensors right. for when you're backing up. The batteries that give you unlimited range. Right. Why? What's taking so long? Has there just been, has no one been financially incentivized to make this chair until now? I mean, is it just that ossified a process? No, no. I have to say, like, when I, you know, I owned a couple of chairs, and, you know, one of the best products out there is this company called Alber, and they're great. And, And Abby is reminiscent of the category leader out there. It's basically two powered wheels that you can adapt to your higher end manual wheelchair frame. But it costs like $6,000, not including the wheelchair. So Abby is- Not including the wheelchair. That's kind of the point, right? (laughs) Right. So we're kind of, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. Certainly we're not copying anybody else, 
What we're doing is we're kind of giving that feature set, but we're adding cameras and sensors to allow you to remote control the device, to allow hands-free robotic driving in certain situations, and of course for safety, obstacle avoidance, and the ability to like see what's behind you, right? You can look down at your joystick and back up. Many people have a hard time turning around. In a wheelchair, you're constantly going forwards and backwards, right, in a proper wheelchair. So just simple things. Those are kinds of things we wanted to add with great performance, range, and power in something that snaps together and is ultimately portable and can be folded up and put into a car for transport, et cetera. Right, and all that is great, plus you're bringing it in at half price. And we're doing all of that for $3,000, including the tech and the chair itself, right? Some of the powered conversion kits We'll take a manual chair, put powered wheels on them, and you can only use a joystick. Another product that's out on the market, you get powered wheels that have push rims that act as the switches, if you will, so that you can only propel with power assist. Abby allows you to do both, either, or none of the above. And by doing that for $3,000, that is revolutionary. Yeah, that's been the crux of the story since the beginning, I think. I wanted to ask, too, about when you had the idea, how many iterations did you have to go through? How many beta versions? And Yep. So, number one, like, as I said, so I've used some of the best products on the market and owned them. So, I know exactly, like, success could look like. But when we started in 2018, first question we want to ask is, why are these damn things so expensive? Does it really need to cost... plus a wheelchair, $8,000 by the time you have something like this. So our first prototype iteration was, can we get a combination of lithium battery and brushless motor that's light enough, powerful enough, and small enough, and affordable? Do these things really need to cost six dollars to $8,000? Or could it be a one, two, three thousand dollar product? So that's what we did. We designed a motor with the RPM and the power curve that we wanted. Of course, lithium battery packs are ubiquitous now. So our our first iteration was, yeah, we can absolutely deliver 150 kilogram capacity motorized power chair and do it affordably. And then we decided to build on that in terms of the cameras, the sensors, the industrial design. How are we going to get multiple removable battery packs into this thing and still have it fold up, right? Right. Right? The answer for that is usually hang the batteries from under the seat or mount them down low on the frame somewhere. So how are we going to make Abby portable? So that's when we said, okay, let's look at uh, an injection molded armrest with a cavity in it. And let's try to make sure we can do that within the overall width. So to, to answer your question, it's about seven iterations over two and a half years, beginning with the, the power package, right? Motors and batteries. Then looking at the ergonomics, the industrial design, battery systems, joystick, and then a lot of the work uh, has been on the the tech, right? Machine vision and IoT. So the ability to have a connected platform that can do a whole lot more. 
So Abby is as much a power chair as a companion robot, right? It's cloud connected. We have some prototypes working where you you, know, you pull out a Google Sheet and it's going to deliver questions to the wheelchair. You can interact with the user of the wheelchair directly through the cloud. And that's a whole other part of our software roadmap that we're going to talk about, you know, once we launch. Right. It's a motorized cloud-based prosthesis, essentially, <laughs> as it's becoming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly it can be a companion. If you look at what's going on in Japan, you know, there's all kinds of venture capital-backed robotic startups that are thinking about how can we care for and engage elderly people who are home alone. Right. But how can you do that without a mobile phone? Okay, well, guess what? Abby is a touchscreen. And it's something that a person who uses Abby for mobility is going to be spending a lot of time in and with. So it's a perfect font to deploy some kind of companion, whether it's a Q&A or whether it's just alerting or whether it's monitoring, you know, how much mobility is mom or dad actually getting right now, right? And that's the kind of thing that the connected side of, of Abby brings to bear. And during the iterative process, you came into this for iteration one with some very specific specs based upon your experience and based upon your consultation with other experts and so forth. How much does the iteration seven resemble iteration one? But more importantly, what was the most interesting epiphany about your discovery process during those iterations? What was something you were most surprised that you were able to achieve? Yeah, we started with off-the-shelf frame, e-bike motors, so you can imagine a Frankenstein, right? <laughs> sure uh, can. You can imagine, right? And then that quickly gave way to our own industrial design, our own 3D printed components and our own customized frame. So, you know, ultimately what you would have seen happen is you would have seen proof of concept where only the logo, <laughs> you know, might be the thing, <laughs> yeah. right? The armrest and the, the size of the battery pack and then the joystick appears and then the uh, you know the motors our motors snap on and snap off with the press of a button there's a lot of engineering that goes into a motor with an electric brake in it that snaps on to a frame with a robust push button attached detach right and there's a lot of data you know there's cameras and sensors and all kinds of data so it's not just power wires right so you can imagine Abby kind of going from a Frankenstein bolted together for proving out concepts. Again, uh, the first few iterations of Abby, you would have seen bicycle spoke wheels. Now, of course, we have our, our custom five spoke molded motor covers and, and wheels. So we were doing about two and a half to three iterations per year, focusing on different aspects of the final package. Well, I'm picturing as you're talking about this, Iron Man going from, you know, yeah. the big thing in the cave to nanobots, exactly. you know, and how exactly. that evolved over the years. Exactly. One of, one of my favorite uh, revelations about the product is that it's finally embracing 21st century technology, that you do have a touchscreen, you do have cloud-based communication. I imagine being connected might help with upgrading your software. You can, you know, exactly. patch things in from remotely, but... You know, my father is 85 years old. And one of the things he's always told me is like, the more stuff you have, or the more stuff that can break. So as it comes to maintenance of all this stuff, how have you created Abby so that 
you can make sure everything that you offer in this machine is always working well? Great question. And I think the most important aspect of Abby's design that speaks to serviceability, and it starts with putting Abby together. We designed Abby to snap together without tools in just a matter of seconds. So every part of Abby, motor, battery, armrests themselves, the joystick controller, the front wheels, the footrest, the rear anti-flip-over wheels, everything snaps together and attaches with either the press of a button or a thumb screw of some oh, No tools snapping. necessary. Wow. So, right, every part of Abby can be removed quickly and then reattached. Abby has some smarts, so when you turn Abby on, she does some self-tests, and if something isn't working, you're just going to get a message on the screen that says, hey, your right motor has failed. And guess what? The help desk is already going to know about it because Abby's connected, right? So we're going to make that easy for you. And maybe, you know, we haven't finished this, but maybe, it, you know, it's covered by warranty. Press yes to confirm the shipping address. Guess what? Your new part is on the way. But ultimately, the fact that Abby is modular and assembles and disassembles without tools and is connected to the cloud, which means we can diagnose and test some certain things through the cloud, uh, but ultimately, we'll be able to uh, ship out replacement parts as easily as Amazon uh, you know, can deliver uh, you know, a pair of sneakers. And so ultimately, when someone gets one of these chairs, they're going to learn a lot about their own ability to, to fix it when the time comes. Correct. And that's part of our go-to-market strategy is we need to understand the levels of support that we're going to need to provide. And that could be like, you know, the, the guys that come out and fix your refrigerator, right? I mean, Abby is really a simple device. It's a basic set of snap-together components. So we can rely, you know, any geek squad or appliance technician can do that. And we're going to work out uh, all of those details as we launch. Yeah, you have some really interesting partnership opportunities there if uh, that's down the road for sure. Speaking of which, when we talk about growth and we talk about scale, you have some really amazing revenue projections and uh, some lofty goals as far as how many people are going to be riding around in this thing eventually once they catch on as the next great thing. Talk a bit about your revenue projections and how you develop such real strong faith in them. We have a five-year plan that uh, ships 50,000 units, right? We're going to ship about 100 in our first year, about 2,000 in our second year. And you can, you can kind of get a sense of how we, uh, we, we scale. A five-year, 50,000-unit future really represents just a tiny, a single, per, a single tenth of a percent capture of the $7 billion market, right? So, so this is a huge market. We'll be very successful if we just make a dent in that in our first five years. However, we'll be profitable after only 1,500 units are shipped. So somewhere in the second half of our second year, based on our pricing and our cost of goods, and our expectations for warranty, uh, coverage, and all of that. So in our third, fourth, and fifth year, we'll be generating up to 25% EBITDA on year five sales of 
about $108 million. And that's, that's delivering something like 2,000 units a month. So if we're delivering something like 24 to 30,000 units in our fifth year, with our gross margins approaching 70%. Um, yeah, that was uh, a big part, too, that I wanted right? to emphasize. We have sure, a, yeah. a portion of that, about 15% of that is coming from subscriptions. We have a subscription on the hardware maintenance for a higher service level, as well as a, a small monthly amount for some of the advanced features. So you can think of that analogous to like the way Tesla is pricing their self-driving software, right? So there's a subscription recurring revenue component to that. But basically, you know, with a very modest market penetration, barely registering, right? We are a very profitable and that, that's giving us retained earnings that we can then think about the other countries that we're going to roll out into. So we're going to get launch in the U.S., have a working formula, and then we're going to proceed to target other developed economies and then ultimately worldwide distribution. Which is interesting because you do have really robust plans, and yet they're also based in conservatism. They're based in a sense of like even a small event. We want to make sure that our customers are successful. Certainly, we could turn open the floodgates on the marketing and get many, many thousands of orders. It's not a really good idea. We're offering a warranty that is commensurate with the higher end, with the more expensive products out on the market. So not like a cheap scooter you buy on Amazon for you know $1,500 that has maybe a 90-day or a, a six-month guarantee. So we're warrantying things for two years except for certain wearing items. And we, we, of course, have to understand what's our exposure in that. What's the, you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're quality assuring everything and testing. We've done a lot of endurance testing. But, you know, when you start having units out in the field, we'll get a much better sense of what is our actual uh, exposure in terms of the warranty coverage we're offering. How are those partnerships on service, right? We're intending to have DIY assembly and simple part swapping shipments for service, but we, we know that we are going to need to overlay, you know, partners that can train up, get certified on Abbey, which is really easy. And then, you know, I offer that. We have to figure out what the mechanics and the uh, economics of that are. So we're going to learn that in our first year and then scale up uh, incrementally. As you mentioned before, there were so many of your customers are going to be buying these chairs because they'll need them for the rest of their lives. Sure. And so yeah. how frequently do you do you imagine that a customer might have to upgrade or you know buy a new version? So the, there, there's hardware and then there's software, right? So the, the, when you turn on Abby, Abby's going to you know basically say, "Hey, a new version is available. Install it." Right, and most of that's just going to be transparent, unless you're implementing a new feature like it let's say we have a new version of the um, hands-free driving option right. right where there's some training aspect to it that that, that means we're going to have to like make sure you understand a few things before you download the new feature for the most part that should all be invisible behind the scenes well, wear and tear has got to be something you factor into that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something that carries a human around and is going over bumps and uh, absolutely things break. Fortunately, Abby has a lot of onboard diagnostics, so Abby can figure out, right, if she's not working properly. You know, let's say your battery temperature is getting higher than it's supposed to be, right? There's internally, we're logging that 
you might get a, an email or a phone call that says, hey, you know, maybe we want to replace your battery. Maybe, maybe we're going to replace it for free, or maybe you've charged it over a thousand cycles and it's not holding its charge as long as it used to, right? So maybe it's time to replace your battery pack. Some will be on a schedule. Some of it will be happening behind the scenes, you know, through cloud magic. But certainly if you're, you know, crossing a road or, or you you know, you get stuck in a ditch or something and something bends or breaks, you know, that's a physical issue. And that's where our help desk will be there to kind of guide okay. you. Okay, so you will have right. personal help as well. You'll have a help absolutely. desk. Absolutely. When I think about something that needs to be, something that endures just physical wear and tear, like a personal chair, it's really important to consider how they're going to be maintained. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, and these are tires, right? I mean, you know, anything, yeah. with, unless you buy solid tires, right? So if you're using inflatable tires, and people who operate chairs, they know how to adjust the air pressure based on what surfaces they're riding on. There's a learning curve. But it sounds like the learning curve, you're inspired to travel that learning curve because once you get to the top, you're going to have a lot of convenience that ordinary chairs aren't going to afford exactly. you. Well, let's also talk about exogenous factors, right? I mean, clearly you're trying to ramp up. You have a pretty clear J-curve in terms of where you might be in five years in terms of production, in terms of revenue. But clearly you make a plan and the universe laughs. So when you think about the next five years, perhaps you really catch on faster than you thought and you need oh, yeah. to ramp up production super fast and shipping and your costs go up a lot. So you planned it out pretty granularly, but when you think about potential hiccups in that process, what do you think the most likely situation is or how are you prepared to uh, react to it? At the moment, we're absolutely moving out of our R&D office in Shenzhen, China, and we're actually just literally yesterday opened our production office, right? So we're preparing and we'll be able to produce up to 200 units a month in this assembly facility where we rely on uh, factories in the Shenzhen area to supply us with lower level components. We assemble and quality control Abbey and test in this new facility. And then we ship uh, containers of Abbey to our U.S. launch market here, where we do further quality control and then final shipment to the end customer. So number one, we've been approached by a couple of potential resellers, right, who would be looking to drop ships. I've already been approached by a few website distributors of mobility type products, and they've inquired about, you know, when are we launching and what were the terms we could work on. They seem to believe that Abby fills a great niche. So we have additional growth opportunities by allowing other websites to take orders for Abby and then we could drop ship. We haven't finalized anything, so I can't talk about anything yet, but that's something that could be an upside. And of course, that would then require us to increase our production capacity. But right now, we are implementing capacity that will cover our growth plan for the first three years. So I, you know, I don't want to be moving office too much, right, and, <laughs> and, and so on and so forth. So I think we're basically, uh, if we outgrow that office in a year, well, that's a good problem to have. Right. So as far as, like, our ability to produce in excess of what we ourselves are forecasting, we won't have a physical constraint on that. So I think we're in good shape there. But again, we're going to be really focused on sticking to our knitting. 
which is our first customer success. And then one at a time building on that and making sure that our service repair and tech support operations are making our first customers really feel good about the decision they made to purchase an Abbey. And when you think about that J-curve we talked about, uh, how much of that relies on marketing? And uh, what kind of marketing are you doing? And um, how much of this crowdfund is heading toward that now that you're at this particular stage? The equity crowdfunding is not so much focused on product. I like the fact that any kind of promotion to a crowd, you know, we're looking for equity investors, but the people that invest typically have resonates, right? The, the, the product and the need in the market resonate because of uh, either a personal situation or maybe they know somebody who's using a wheelchair or a power chair of some kind or could use one. We did a pre-order campaign uh, over a year ago now, and in just six weeks, we generated dozens of pre-orders and deposits, and that gave us a feel for the types of campaigns, cost of customer acquisition. The internet never stays the same. Facebook marketing has changed, right? Google marketing has changed. We did sell out our early bird, and I think we're just now starting to turn on some marketing, and we'll see how that goes. You're on a wait list now, right? Potential uh, owners are on a wait list? Oh, yeah. We have, we have over 1,500 subscribers on a wait list who basically said, hey, let me know when I can buy an Abbey. And that's growing. We're getting, you know, we get, you know, sometimes up to five or 10 a day now. Actually, we, we're, that's growing because of the crowdfunding, actually. Well, another good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But again, in order to be able to launch in the first half of next year, We have already procured our first 100 frames. So they're being unpacked, right? And so we're going to begin setting up our production and our quality control operation in this new office. And we we, we hope, as the crowdfunding hopefully heads towards success, that we will be in position to get our first container of of fully uh, completed abbeys headed towards the U.S. in the first quarter of next year. That's our goal. And has that goal been affected by any supply chain issues? I mean, I know that's affected yeah, so we, we, we everybody have, at this point. Um, we have a pretty, so, so the answer is no. We have 45 to 90 day contracted lead times with, you know, motors, brakes, this frame, blah, blah, blah. And we have a lot of the, you know, I'd say about 40% of the full set of Abbey components are already procured and we couldn't fit them in our old office. So now we're moving and we're actually receiving <laughs> that stuff now that we've opened up our larger facility in, in the Shenzhen. But we still have a ways to go. We still have more components to order. We still have to staff up. We have to do a lot of the destructive safety testing, right? Every Abbey that is manufactured is itself subject to vibration testing and you know, various types of tests before it will be packed in a container and shipped over here. As we wind down here a bit, let's talk about the crowdfund. Let's, uh, where can investors learn more about the company, about the product, and about the crowdfund? We are on WeFunder as GoGoTech. So it's wefunder.com slash GoGoTech. So the crowdfunding has basically our pitch, the investment terms, but there's a great video of Abby, our latest production prototype, where you'll see me and Abby in real world situations and basically showing 
all of the and design and the engineering and all the, the great stuff that we've engineered into Abbey, as well as a really nice old gentleman tooling around in, uh, in Abbey and, and demonstrating some of those uh, advanced features. And you can also get a sense for the portability and the versatility and, again, some of that kind of tech magic. But Abbey is a new entrant in a market that has a massive unmet need. And Abbey is one of those rare, in my opinion, one of those rare new product launches that has true unicorn potential, but an absolutely compelling social impact case. Check it out. You'll, you'll definitely understand if you watch that video. And I really look forward to seeing you uh, ask questions. You know, if you have some questions on there, we tend to get the answers back in a few hours or less. Right. And we'll be putting links to all that in the show notes as well. So to facilitate people finding out more about uh, GoGo Tech and, uh, and Abby uh, at SuccessfullyFundedPodcast.com. Uh, John, it's been great to chat with you about this and great to write about it and to research it. And I have to say, just having been immersed in this culture for the last few weeks and people in wheelchairs now seem so much less invisible to me. That's great. And I think that's a big part of what you're trying to achieve here. So thanks for all of that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Doug. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. This has been the Successfully Funded Podcast. I am your host, Doug French, and that is the founder and CEO of GoGoTech and Abby, their new power chair, John Benedetti. John, thanks so much. All the best of luck with this project. Uh, And we will see you next week with another innovation of people creating things that you may or may not do donuts with. Super. Thanks so much, Doug. Have a great day. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.